Good morning, everybody. I'm Pastor Evan. Delighted that you're here this morning at First Covenant. Uh, I didn't realize in this, uh, this is only the second time we've had kids sit up here while we do the children's message. And for those of you who can't see if you're in the room or at home, but so that we know that we're able to be on screen at home, there's a TV right here. So the kids over here can see themselves. So there's a new distraction that we've given them during the children's message. <laughs> that was fun to watch. Um, we're going to be in Joshua chapter 9 this morning, so I'd invite you to find Joshua chapter 9 in your Bible, on your phone, on your tablet, uh, however you're reading it. Um, and while you're finding that, uh, let's just point out something about the Bible right away, which is that the Bible is addressed to people, not a person. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. It's addressed to people, not a person. And I'll, I'll say something about that in a moment, but let's talk about TV and movies for a moment first. Have you ever noticed that it's, and it's not a new plot device, but on TV and movie uh, shows that happen all the time right now, a main character or one of the primary characters seems to have a trend of needing to go alone to accomplish their mission. They've got people around them to support them often in shows and people around them that, can, that are like, we're with you, whatever you're gonna do, whatever thing you have to go, mission you have to go on, but then inevitably some main character decides to sneak away in the middle of the night because I have to do this by myself is what they say, which is silly because they have all these people that are saying, no, we're with you. We'll do this with you. And yet they uh, ignore those riches that are around them. Despite the, the advice they get otherwise, they go and do it on their own. So as the church, and we're talking about that today, even in the context of Joshua, as the church, we're not supposed to go this life alone of following Jesus Christ. We're supposed to do it together. So that's part of what we're going to get at today. And if you look at the Bible, as I said, the Bible's addressed to people, not a person. There are very few biblical books that you can find that are addressed to individuals rather than a group. Very few of them. And even when they are addressed to individuals, they're kind of addressed to the group in almost every case. Uh, a great example would be something like First and Second Timothy, which is Paul writing to Timothy. It's, not, it's addressed to Timothy, but it's for the benefit of the whole church. Um, almost the entire Old Testament is, is for the benefit of the people so that they know how to walk with God. The whole purpose of Scripture is that we would be able to walk with God and respond to God. And I can tell you, the idea that we can go it alone in this life of faith and discipleship, walking with Jesus Christ as following him, I think throughout Christian history has been proven as a false notion. Um, many of you know that I studied monks when I was doing my uh, graduate degree stuff, and um, even the early monks, they lived in caves all on their own. And then what happened? They started finding caves closer to other people living on their own and started building community gardens, and caves got closer and doing worship together once a week. Why? Because they figured out, we're not designed to be alone in this life. We're designed to walk with Jesus Christ together, not apart. It's been proven over and over. And so I think Joshua chapter 9 is one of those chapters that tells us something very simple, a straightforward truth, that if we're going to be faithful to God, we need faithful friends to walk with us in that journey. If we're going to be faithful to God, we need faithful friends. And if we're disciples who make disciples, that's what we need as well. We need other disciples who walk with us together in that journey. So as we look at uh, Joshua 9, we are going to read through the whole thing. We'll do it in four sections, uh, four unequal sections. Um, and we will look at sort of a truth that we can see from the text. And then we'll tie it to an encouraging truth that I think helps us as God's people today. 
and as disciples who make disciples. So let's look at chapter 9 of Joshua, verses 1 and 2, and get our orientation here. Now, when all the kings west of the Jordan heard about these things, you'll get a little more detail on these things below, the kings in the hill country, in the western foothills, and along the entire coast of the Mediterranean Sea as far as Lebanon, the kings of the Hittites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, they came together to wage war against Joshua and Israel. So the first thing I want to point out, and we'll read a little bit more in a moment, the first thing to point out, though, is that mission obedience will bring opposition. I think if we're faithful to God in carrying out his will, and if there's any success in that at all, people are going to oppose that. Even though we believe that we take the truth, uh, if it runs into something that's uh, competing truth out there, there's going to be opposition. Here we see direct opposition to the mission at hand when God calls them. The kings gather together and say, we're going to go against Israel in this case. And we can understand why, perhaps. But if we keep going on, you can see that there's also opposition that isn't just direct, but opposition by deception that comes in. And the Gibeonites, which we'll read about in a moment, are quite creative. And we saw Jordan illustrated very nicely with the cups right now, illustrated better than I will in the children's message, but we'll read it straight from the text here. It says, going to verse 3, however, when the people of Gibeon heard that Joshua, what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai, they, they resorted to a ruse. They went as a delegation whose donkeys were loaded with worn-out sacks and old wineskins, cracked and mended. They put worn and patched sandals on their feet and wore old clothes. All the bread of their food supply was dry and moldy. Then they went to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal and said to him and the Israelites, We have come from a distant country to make a treaty, make a treaty with us. The Israelites said to the Hivites, But perhaps you live near us, so how can we make a treaty with you? We are your servants, they said to Joshua. But Joshua asked, Who are you? And where do you come from? They answered, Your servants have come from a very distant country because of the fame of the Lord your God. For we have heard reports of him, all that he did in Egypt, and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, Sihon, king of Heshbon, and Og, king of Bashan, who reigned in Ashtaroth. And our elders and all those living in our country said to us, Take provisions for your journey. Go and meet them and say to them, We are your servants. Make a treaty with us. This bread of ours was warm when we packed it at home on the day we left to come to you. But now see how dry and moldy it is. And these wineskins that were filled were new. But see how cracked they are. And our clothes and sandals are worn out by the very long journey. So you can see that the Gibeonites were involved in trying to make them believe something different than the truth in this case. Opposition by deception. Jesus pointed out in the New Testament that if we follow him, we're going to face opposition as well. If we follow Jesus Christ, he said in Matthew 5.11, he said, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. In John chapter 15, Jesus also says, If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If we follow Jesus Christ, there's going to be moments of opposition. 
because we look like him, because we're doing his work in the world, and that's going to conflict with other competing worldviews out there. It's going to be a truth claim that butt heads which, with other truth claims that are out there. But what I want to point out is that, yes, there's going to be opposition if we're obedient to the mission, but the first place we actually have to look to make sure that there isn't uh, opposition by deception is within our own doors if we're not careful because sometimes we can be our own deceivers without even realizing it. Not on purpose, but on accident in the mission that we've been given. We can sometimes deceive ourselves by getting focused on things that aren't our mission inside. So we go through mission drift when we get focused on, on the music or the clothing we wear or the color of things. We can get, we can get lost by focusing on things that only look internally and we invest all of our mission efforts internally and our mission energy internally instead of looking outward as well. We can get lost in that and sometimes deceive ourselves. We can get deceived by, by living false community instead of true community where we're looking to make sure that there isn't trouble and that's our whole goal rather than mission faithfulness. And what that looks like practically, and of course we've, like any church, have had to talk through these things, is that we end up having a bad decision matrix if we're not careful. That we make decisions based on who's going to be the most offended or least offended rather than what's the mission. And so we need to make sure that if there's going to be opposition to the mission, that the opposition doesn't come from within, that we're on the same page as to what the mission is. If we're faithful, we will face opposition, but to remain faithful, we need faithful friends to stay strong in mission together because we will face opposition. Second thing to point out, if we look at verses 14 and 15, it says the Israelites sampled their provisions but did not inquire of the Lord. Can you see a problem that's been flagged for us here? Then Joshua made a treaty of peace with them to let them live, and the leaders of the assembly ratified it by oath. Here's another simple truth I think we can see from the text. If we seek to do the Lord's will, or we, we, see, we should seek God's will if we seek to do the Lord's work. Seems simple enough. If we seek to do God's work, we need to seek God's will first, not try and get him to baptize what we're doing afterwards. Now what's at play here? What's the hesitation in making the treaty in case they live close at hand? We are not supplied with that information here, but it's not hard to find. It's both in Exodus 34 and Deuteronomy 20. We can see that God had given the people instructions, when you enter the land, make sure you don't make treaties with people who live in the land because they will lead you astray. Right? They're supposed to take the land because the people that live in the land, it's a holy war, God's calling them into battle because the people in the land are unholy and have been for a long time and have, been have lived in opposition to God for centuries now, even though they've been called back, but they've ignored God and that reality. And God says, so I'm going to vomit them out of the land. I'm giving you the land. That's what's at play here. Don't make a treaty with them. They're going to lead you astray from that mission, is what the Israelites are told. Now, we can give them some credit because we see that they try and do a little bit of vetting of the Gibeonites when they come. Oh, where do you live? Do you live close to us? Okay, well, we'll taste the bread and we see, okay, yeah, you must have come from far away. But we can see that Joshua ignored earlier advice as well. Um, and in Numbers 27, when Joshua becomes a leader in Israel, he is told at that point to make sure for the big decisions to consult Eleazar, the high priest. 
Joshua doesn't consult. Eleazar the high priest in what seems to be an important decision here, and he uh, then makes a leadership mistake in doing that. He was supposed to inquire of the priest. Priests are go-betweens between humans and God, so the whole priestly tribe, the Levites and the priests of Israel were supposed to be the people that went before God on behalf of the people, basically. That's what a priest does. You know, I'm a, I'm a pastor, not a priest, for instance. I don't go before God on your behalf. I'm supposed to shepherd the flock. That's a different role that I have. But Joshua should have gone, and the other leaders should have gone to the priest, as instructed by the Lord and by Moses. And instead of doing that and doing the proper assessment, they ended up being trusting to the point of gullibility and then being taken. When they had the resources to not fall, fall into this sort of folly. Now, if we dwell on the idea of priests for a moment, uh, Peter tells us in the New Testament that if we follow Jesus Christ, we are priests. We're the priesthood of believers as the church. That is to say, we don't need a go-between between us and God. We have direct access to God, and that comes through Jesus Christ, who is God. We have direct access to our Heavenly Father. We don't need a go-between. But sometimes it's easy to read a passage like being the priesthood of believers as the church and think of ourselves as independent contractors. You're a priest, and you're a priest, and you're a priest, and I'm a priest, and we're all independent of one another, but we're not actually. We, I don't just get to go before God on my own behalf. I can go before God on your behalf, and you could go before God on my behalf, too, when we're going through issues, when we need trouble, when we need advice, those sorts of things. That's how we're supposed to operate as, as dependent on one another in that, not independent of one another. We need to seek God's will if we're going to do God's work. We need to do that together as God's people. We're a community of believers. To be faithful to God, we need faithful friends in order to do that. And we can be deceived without the input of the body of believers if we're not careful. You can see where in the, the body of believers was necessary for decisions in the New Testament. Acts chapter 15 is a great example where the believers were troubled because they have to figure out how are we supposed to operate now as Jew and Gentile together following Jesus Christ. Do we have to circumcise, not circumcise, follow the practices? And they gather together as a priesthood of believers to discuss what this looks like and how do we move forward. You can see that Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, and he says there's going to be a day when people are not going to trust sound doctrine because they're going to want to do whatever their itching ears tell them they want to hear. We need faithful friends for discernment in mission. Let's go to the third section of Joshua 9, starting at verse 16. Three days after they made the treaty, by the way, Gibeon is only about 25-ish miles away from Gilgal, where they are, give or take. The Israelites, sent, oh, excuse me, three days after they made the treaty with the Gibeonites, the Israelites heard that they were neighbors living near them. So the Israelites set out and on the third day came to their cities, Gibeon, Kephira, Beeroth, and Kiriath-Jerim. But the Israelites did not attack them because the leaders of the assembly had sworn an oath to them by the Lord, the God of Israel. The whole assembly grumbled against the leaders, but all the leaders answered, We have given them our oath by the Lord, the God of Israel, and we cannot touch them now. This is what we will do to them. We will let them live so that God's wrath will not fall on us for breaking the oath we swore to them. They continued, Let them live, but let them be woodcutters and water carriers in the service of the whole assembly. So the leader's promise to them was kept. 
Then Joshua summoned the Gibeonites and said, Why did you deceive us by saying we live a long way from you? Well, actually, you live near us. You are now under a curse. You will never be released from service as woodcutters or water carriers for the house of my God. Truth we can pick out from here, I think it sounds proverbial in a sense, only promise what you intend to complete. Seems like good advice in life. Only promise what you intend to complete. Again, let's talk TV and movies for a moment. Um, you can almost play a little game, where you, we do this at our house too, where you listen for when main characters or characters tell each other, I promise. Have you ever paid attention to this in TV? They say it an awful lot. And it's usually a substitute for something else, at least in my opinion. They say, I promise, and there are often things they can't deliver. I'll keep your family safe. Well, how do you know you can do that, right? You, you can't guarantee that. Or, I'm going to do the thing that I told you I was going to do, but I have no character behind me that you could trust my character or any previous experience, so I'm just going to say, I promise, and that's going to work for us going forward. Again, they're useful plot devices, but they're not useful in real life sometimes. They're substituting for something else. What's on the line, though, if you don't follow through on a promise? There's a whole lot of things that could be on the line if you don't follow through on a promise. For the leaders here and anywhere, there can be confusion and compromise that happens that, that creates discord or division or something within the people. For anyone, whether leaders or not, there's a loss of integrity and trust that happens. Right? Are, are you who you say you are? Is your character really what you said it was? And can I really trust you to do the things you say you'll do? That's what happens when we don't follow through on a promise or on an oath in this case. Joshua messed up. The leaders messed up. I will say to his credit, though, he stood by his word in a messy situation, so he's able to continue to maintain some integrity uh, in that. They lost ground in the mission through this. Um, he probably lost trust with people through the bad decision. And when we compromise the mission, it turns out I think we've lost a lot in those cases. In the New Testament, when Jesus says, let your yes be yes and your no be no, he has a very important reason for that. He says, he's saying, don't take O's. Just let your character, who you are, speak for itself. Be a person who, when you say, I'm going to do it, you're going to do it. And people know it. They can trust your character because you said yes or you said no. Part of the background and when Jesus says that is the Pharisees, some of the religious leaders of the day, would make oaths with loopholes and ways to back out of, the, of, the, of their promises. So they'd make a promise, for instance, by heaven instead of by God, because you wouldn't want to use the Lord's name in vain. But by doing that, they could say, well, I only made it by heaven, not by God, so I can back out of that promise if I want. How can you trust someone like that? Their yes isn't yes. Their yes is a maybe, and that's really annoying, and you can't trust that. For Joshua, if we look at him here, he gained knowledge and he maintained some integrity by standing by his promise, by messing up. You know, he, he's able to grow, perhaps. But the yes, yes, no, no thing matters so much for disciples walking together in mission, right? Can your leaders be trusted? Can I be trusted by you to stand by what I say and what I'm going to do, to be the person, the, the character of a person who's going to say yes and mean yes or no and mean no? Can you trust me? Can I trust you? Can our leaders trust uh, the, the people within the congregation? Can we trust each other to stand by our word, to stand by each other in tough times, to stand by each other when we're doing service together? 
right? If we can't trust each other to do the work, to do the mission, to be faithful to the mission, then we can't expect that people outside of the congregation are going to trust us either, can we? We need to do that as God's people. If we follow Jesus, we better look more like him than we look like the world around us. We better be the people who say yes and no and mean those things when we say them and have the character that can back them up. And part of that also is passing forward what the mission is and continuing to pass forward what the mission is. Because interestingly with the Gibeonites, as a note, and disappointingly, uh, by 2 Samuel 21, if you follow their history forward, they've been woodcutters and water carriers this whole time, generations later. And King David, the second king of Israel and Judah united, um, they end up in a famine. And they end up in a famine because King Saul, the first king, tried to kill all the Gibeonites. He didn't stand by the treaty. They didn't pass that information forward or they didn't stand by their word. They forgot their mission. They sacrificed their integrity and that has effects. So faithful friends are required for integrity of mission. Finally, we look at the last couple verses, verses 24 through 26. I think it's really good news when we get to this part. It says, they answered, so the Gibeonites answered Joshua, your servants were clearly told how the Lord God had commanded his servants, Moses, to give you the whole land and to wipe out all its inhabitants from before you. So we feared for our lives because of you. And that is why we did this. We are now in your hands. Do to us whatever seems good and right to you. So Joshua saved them from the Israelites and they did not kill them. That day he made the Gibeonites woodcutters and water carriers for the assembly to provide for the needs of the altar of the Lord at the place the Lord would choose. And that is what they are to this day. Here's some good news. God can redeem what we have broken. God is able to do that. Ephesians 1, 7 tells us, In him, Jesus Christ, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Redemption, you can define it a number of ways, but it's simply claiming or reclaiming something by purchase or price. It was lost, now it's brought back or reclaimed. The Gibeonites sought salvation. But that's what they're looking for. Now, I think Joshua could have asked, and the leaders could have asked better questions, like, if you're from a faraway country, why are you afraid that we're going to come and get you? you know, I mean, this part of the world, Egypt was the big power, and there were growing powers off to the east. Israel was not one of the growing powers. Most of those tribes, they were warring against each other, but we're not worried. So if, if they, these people are coming from way far away, why are they worried about Israel? I mean, there are questions that should have been asked. That should have been obvious, but they didn't ask those questions. The Gibeonites came. They sought salvation. They didn't quite know how to go about it, apparently. And so that raises a question for those of us who are disciples, who make disciples. How many people in our lives are looking for salvation but don't know where or how to look? How many Gibeonites do we have in our lives that are looking for some way looking for some rescue, for something more, for some meaning, for some purpose in their life, more than they see in their lives now. And we know the answer. How many Gibeonites do we have around us looking in the wrong places? And we have the path to salvation to offer to them through Jesus Christ. If we follow Jesus Christ, shouldn't we be in the business of telling people the way of salvation? 
of helping the Gibeonites find their way home. It turns out if we're doing this together, there's really good news here. God can redeem, and I'm not a disciple who makes disciples. We are. Isn't that good news? We do this together. We do this together. Our mission is to call people home to God. So the final word of encouragement is that faithful friends are required to call us back to God's presence. We have to call one another back. We have to call others into that same presence as those uh, who, who believe God can redeem what's broken. We can't do this job alone. We can't do this mission alone. We're people who should look like Jesus Christ and live God's call and God's mission, God's promises in this world. We need to live as God's true people, as his true community, living our mission, walking close to Jesus Christ, as close as possible, and calling others into that same life. That's our mission. And to be faithful, we need one another. We need faithful friends for the journey. Let's pray. Let's commit those areas uh, that we need to be strong together, discerning people of integrity and forgiving people full of redemption an opportunity for redemption. Let's pray together. Lord, help us as we seek to be faithful and walk close to your son, Jesus Christ. Help us be strong together in mission. Help us as we come out of this COVID period to continue to gather together and encourage one another as your people. Help us to be innovative in our thinking together of how we can look outward not just inward, how we can grow together, certainly inward, but how we can be people who make disciples and call others who are far from you home. Help us to be people who live with mission integrity, that our character speaks yes and no, and people know that that's what we mean, that we as a church speak that, and that's what we mean, that we have the character that would draw others to your presence because we look like your son Jesus Christ as your people. Lord, help develop that in us. Help us walk so close to you that the dust of the Savior gets onto us. Lord, help us be a people of forgiveness. Redemption is offered through your Son, Jesus Christ. Help us be a people who are willing to forgive when we've gone astray, who won't pass off sin, but are willing to call people back home and love them in the process, who walk with one another through and through the difficult times and who celebrate the joys that come with following you as well. Let us be those people, people of character and the character of your son, Jesus Christ. We pray this all in his name. Amen.